For the past 11 weeks, we have been journeying through the book of Daniel, which tells the story of four Israelite teenagers who, among roughly 5,000 other Israelites, were torn from their families and homes and deported to the faraway country of Babylon, where they face an array of dangers as they serve a series of pagan kings. Throughout this story, we have witnessed the righteous resolve of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego as they endeavored to honor God at all cost. And as we've journeyed through this book, we have been challenged and reminded to follow God against the currents of our own sinful culture. We've been challenged and reminded to trust God for wisdom, to take God at his word, to fear God more than fire, to represent God unto others, to ask God to restore reason to unbelievers and unbelieving rulers. We've been challenged and reminded to expect God to uphold his justice, to honor God at all cost, whatever it is to await God in the darkness of our modern era and to seek God for forgiveness and restoration. And today, as we finish our 12-week series through this wonderful book, we will be challenged and reminded to know with unshakable certainty, with unshakable certainty that God will prevail against all forces of darkness, both spiritual and physical, We'll be challenged and reminded today to know with unrelenting joy that no matter what danger and darkness we face, he will bring us home in real and resurrected glory. The first half of the book of Daniel is written in historical narrative. It records real events that took place during Daniel's and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's time in Babylon. The second half of this book is filled with apocalyptic prophecy, strange dreams and visions that all foretell future events that would unfold on the stage of world history. And so it is with our passage this morning, chapters, you heard that right, chapters 10 11 and 12 this is a much larger portion of scripture than we usually bite off and if you are a first-time visitor welcome and I'm sorry we will not read the entirety of these chapters but we will read a few key portions and then we will aim to apply their overarching themes to our lives chapters 10 11 and 12 of the book of Daniel actually form a cohesive unit. If it weren't for their length, they could easily form a single chapter. These chapters, as we'll see, they give us a glimpse into the unseen world of spiritual warfare. These chapters foretell with striking accuracy yet again what would come of future world conflicts. These chapters shine a bit more light onto the ominous nature of the Antichrist. These chapters assure all God's people 
from every nation and language of earth that no matter the difficulties we will face, God will bring us home. For the remainder of our time, we'll spend a little time in each chapter. If you're a note taker, you might, you might outline your notes in this way. Point number one will be in chapter 10. And, and here's how I would call point number one. There is a spiritual conflict, conflict being waged. Number one, there is a spiritual conflict being waged. Number two, we'll look at chapter 11. There will be earthly conflicts that unfold. Number two, there will be earthly conflicts that unfold. And number three, we'll look at chapter 12, where all conflict, spiritual and physical, will end at God's appointed time. All conflict, number three, spiritual and physical, will end at God's appointed time. Hallelujah. Before we dive into chapter 10 and, and, and point number one, subsequently, we need to make a couple of important notes, okay? The first note is this. In these chapters, the approximate date is 536 B.C., two years after the events of chapter 9, which Pastor Ed instructively unpacked for us last Sunday. The joint empire of the Medes and Persians is in power as we come into chapter 10. And as a joint empire, the Medes and Persians, they have one king, not two, they have one king. I know that should go without saying, but in chapter 10, it says, well, Cyrus is king. And then in chapter 11, it says Darius is king. And so the first note we need to make is this. Cyrus, the Persian king in chapter 10, and Darius, the Median king in chapter 11, are the same person. Darius is not a name. If we were to do a word study, it is a title that Cyrus went by signifying that he had authority over the Medes as well as the Persians. Darius and Cyrus are the same person. The second note we need to make is this. The 70-year exile of God's people in Babylon has been brought to an end. In between chapters 9 and 10, King Cyrus slash, slash Darius, there's a tongue twister, decreed that all the Israelites, in between 9 and 10, King Cyrus Darius decreed that all the Israelites living in Babylon were free to return to Judah to begin rebuilding Jerusalem and the temple. Now, the probable reason why Daniel did not return home, in fact, he's still in Babylon in chapters 10, 11, and 12, the probable reason is he was much too old to make the really long journey home. And as we come into chapter 10, look with me quickly at verse 2. Daniel is mourning. He's fasting. He's praying. He is distressed as we come into chapter 10 because many of his fellow Jews had returned home. They'd gone back to Jerusalem. And as we learn from the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, 
Those who did return to Jerusalem at this very moment when Daniel is coming, chapter 10, at this very moment, those Israelites are facing a lot of oppression as they tried to rebuild the temple and the city and the city walls. That's why Daniel is mourning as we come into chapter 10. And so let's jump in to chapter 10. Let's consider point number one of our outline Number one, there is a spiritual conflict being waged. That, that, that point will make sense here in a moment. In verse one, it's the third year of King Cyrus's reign when Daniel receives a heavenly vision. And the word of the vision is essentially this, more conflict was headed toward the people of Israel. They had been released from exile, yes. But they would continue to be caught in the crossfire of various kingdoms vying for world domination. You might even say that after the Jews, after the Israelites here were released from exile, they really haven't ever gone back to being not in an exiled state, so to speak. In verses 2 through 9, Daniel is out for a prayer walk on the bank of the Tigris, the Tigris River. And as he stands on the bank in prayerful mourning, a radiant man clothed in linen and fine gold with fiery eyes and gleaming skin appears. And the sound of his voice sounds like a multitude of voices. Some theologians think that this heavenly being here is a Christophany. A Christophany is an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. Did somebody just see that bee or whatever that was fly like right at my face? Wow. People who, you know, my mom who will listen to this recording later will be like, what was he talking about? Um, so anyway, back to, wow, it took me off guard. I apologize. So some, some theologians, get back on, on board with me here. Some theologians think that this heavenly being that has now appeared to Daniel is a Christophany, an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. Others think this is an angel reflecting and radiating the glory of God. Either way, either way, the sight and sound of this heavenly being is so frightening Daniel is left to himself on the bank of the Tigris. And even Daniel is so frightened, he falls to the ground. And then it takes the rest of chapter 10 just to get him composed enough to listen to what the heavenly being has to say in, in chapter 11. He's like shook to his core. Now, pause with me here for a second for a moment of application. Daniel's fearful posture here reminds me of something we talked about a few weeks ago and it bears repeating. There is a right and healthy fear that we must have toward God. Whether this heavenly being is the pre-incarnate Christ or an angel, he is gleaming. He's reflecting the majesty of the most high and holy God. And Daniel's response is appropriate. Look, if God were to give us, imagine this with me. If God were to give you and me right now eyes to see 
even one of his angels that are no doubt here among us. I think, I think we would firstly drop to the ground in terror and that would immediately be followed with all of a sudden getting a glimpse of the holy heavenly. I think it would immediately make us a lot more serious about the things that are serious to God. Would it not? Like humbling ourselves. Oh, oh Lord. Like fighting against sin. Like encouraging one another and admonishing one another and not failing to meet together, praying together, worshiping together. The thing is, and this is true of me before it is of you, I think most Christians tend to treat God and tend to treat the things of God with a dangerous casualness because we forget that he is holy to the third power. Holy, holy, holy. Holy Spirit instill in us a right fear that produces right living. As Daniel is bowed to the ground in reverent fear of this heavenly being. The heavenly being says to Daniel in verse 12. How do you like this for irony? Fear not, Daniel. (laughs) Now, that is to say, don't fear as though I am here to harm or annihilate you. I am not. I am not. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and have humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard and I have come because of your words. Let's chew on that most wonderful reality for a moment when it comes to humble prayer. According to this heavenly being, at the very moment when Daniel bowed his heart in prayer, at that very moment, Daniel was heard by God. How many of you need to hear that today? How many of us need to hear that today? Have you been earnestly praying, Lord, Give me understanding. Lord, please help me to break this addiction. Lord, please save my wayward son or daughter. Lord, please provide me with with a job, with work. Your words have been heard. Your words have been heard by he who is able to do far more abundantly than what you're asking or thinking. Just because you haven't received your answer like some sort of McDonald's drive-through, don't stop asking. Don't stop petitioning God. Don't stop imploring and crying out 
to God. My son Keller, if you know him, he might just be the best example to me of what persistent prayer is supposed to look like. When Keller really wants something, he asks so repetitiously he could outlast a voice recording of himself set to repeat. It's maddening. And it's wonderful. And Lindsay and I have, Lindsay's my wife, it, we've, 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 we've learned something. When Keller doesn't really, really want something, his request just fades off into silence. But we know when he really, really wants something, we know when, it's when he doesn't stop asking. He keeps going, and he keeps going, and he keeps going like the Energizer dang bunny who won't stop. Family, the same should be true of us toward God. Let us keep petitioning. Your words are being heard. And who knows, but... The Lord may have a similar disposition in that I'll know when he's really desiring this because he won't stop hounding me about it. Kind of like the persistent widow before the judge, Jesus' parable. And let's not be discouraged, by the way, by what feels like a delayed response to prayer. Man, I get so discouraged about it. No, no, no. We're not going to get discouraged by that, especially in light of what we learn next, especially in light of what the heavenly being tells Daniel in verses 13 and 14. Let, let this blow your mind a little bit. The heavenly being explains to Daniel, he would have brought Daniel his answer sooner, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia, and y'all, that's a demon. The angel would have, or the heavenly being would have brought Daniel his answer sooner, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood him for 21 days until the archangel Michael came as reinforcement. What? What? This is a mysterious thing. We don't see this on every page of scripture, but it's a biblical thing. We're looking at it. An invisible conflict is waging all around us, all around us. A spiritual battle between angels and demons has ensued ever since Lucifer and his legion of rebels were cast out of heaven. And this ongoing battle, this ongoing battle, this ongoing battle delayed the arrival of God's answer to Daniel. Do, do you see it? The, angel, the, the, the heavenly beings like, I, I, I would have come here sooner to provide you with the answer that God sent. But there's this war going on. It, 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 it seems from this text too, man, we got to do diligence to just look at this for a second. It seems from this text that particular demons hold sway over particular nations and peoples. They're, they're, they're like organized. But it also seems that particular angels have been assigned to protect and to care for God's people 
in those particular nations and, 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 and among those peoples. A very real war is being waged all around us in real time. And it, it makes Ephesians 6.12 land all the more firmly in my heart. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the mighty powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil. The spiritual conflict between good and evil that is being waged all around us not only affects the timing of answered prayer in certain instances, it also plays a factor in earthly conflicts, especially those that are foretold in the vision of chapter 11. So, so in, in chapter 10, Daniel is finally able to get his composure looking at this heavenly being. And he's like stood up and, and now in chapter 11, the heavenly being reveals, point number two, there will be earthly conflicts that, that unfold. So, so we're for in point number two now, chapter 11, in, in verse one, speaking to Daniel, this is an interesting, the heavenly being briefly explains that he, he actually had a role. So when Darius slash Cyrus released the Jews from captivity in the first year of his reign, the heavenly being actually had a role in that. He confirmed and strengthened Cyrus and Darius to, to do just that, to release the Jews according to God's plan. And then, he, and then, and then this heavenly being moves on and, and, and he explains in verses 2 through 36, 2 through 36, about, about half of chapter 11, the heavenly being then explains in much more detail many more earthly conflicts would arise and trouble God's people. Earthly conflicts that actually resemble the spiritual conflict that wages on between good and evil. Now, for, for, for us in the 21st century world, right here in this room, the part of the prophetic vision in, in, in verses 2 through 36, that, that portion of this prophetic vision has already come to pass. It's already come to pass with, with striking accuracy. Uh, verses 2 through 36 are actually so accurate that critics of, of the Bible or, or critics of the inspiration of Scripture, no, this section, this had to be written hundreds of years after all of the, it's so accurate. Well, no, they don't believe in the supernatural revelation of Scripture, God breathed. But with striking accuracy, verses 2 through 36 foretell events that, you know, at the time when the, when the heavenly being is giving this, these events would occur. And now in 21st century, these events have occurred between the kingdoms of Medo-Persia and Greece and Egypt and Syria. And all of these events had a great impact on the people of Israel, especially the events of verses 21 through 31. In this portion, 
the heavenly being describes to Daniel a, a, a ruler who would be the contemptible Antiochus IV. The Greco-Syrian king Antiochus IV would rise up in power and he would mercilessly oppress God's people. Antiochus IV would put to death any of the Jews who partook of sacrament or sacrifice or Sabbath or scripture. Antiochus IV would seduce with flattery, verse 32, any Jews who would turn their backs to God on account of the hardship and persecution. But, second half of verse 32, there would be people who knew their God. The people who know their God would stand firm and take action. Verse 33, the wise among God's people would help many others to understand what was happening. And some would falter, but the wise, verse 35, would ultimately be refined and purified and made white until the time of the end. All of that took place. The people of Israel faced those things and Antiochus IV is almost unanimously agreed upon as the fulfillment of those passages. Now, as we come to verses 36 through 30, or 45, 36 through 45, the prophetic vision that the Heavenly being is giving to Daniel right there on the bank of the Tigris. The prophetic, prophetic vision seems to shift focus beyond Antiochus IV and onto a king who, who doesn't really resemble any figures so far in world history. Most scholar theologians suspect that the king, this king in verses 36 through 45 is the beast from Daniel chapter 7, the beast from Revelation 13, the man of lawlessness in the book of Thessalonians, the Antichrist, the Antichrist. And what we're told about this kingly Antichrist figure in verses 36 through 45. What we gather in these passages, these verses, is that he will have tremendous influence and power. He will do whatever pleases him, and he'll do whatever he pleases him, whatever pleases him while carrying himself as though he were divine. He'll worship the God of fortresses and that is not to say that he'll worship anyone over himself. His worship of the God of fortresses means that he will worship war. He'll worship the gaining of world power for the glory of his own name. It's likely that this king, this antichrist figure that it's likely that he'll have an in intimidating charisma about him. As if he were self-sustaining and indestructible. People will flock to him and bow to him. And he will reward those who give him honor. But there will be some who rightly oppose him. 
God's people will oppose him. And as a result, they will face the perilous consequences, especially those in the glorious land, verse 41, especially those in the glorious land, that is Jerusalem. I wish I could communicate how hard it is to be in a passage where I wish I could tell you more. This is what we're told. God's word doesn't always tell us what we want to know. God's word always tells us what we need to know. We, this, this, this is what we need to know. If this king, if this Antichrist is still to come, and I believe that he is. He is going to ascend to power on the wings of the old but not dead Roman Empire. Watch for that. He's going to gain authority over every tribe and nation of the world. I don't know how. He's going to mockingly undermine the name of the holy one true God. He's going to make war against the people of God with great persecution. And he will even seemingly prevail over the people of God for a time. That's what we know. But strangely, can you just, can you just be strangely comforted with me for a moment that our God knows all of that and has revealed all of that to us? The reason why God can tell us what to look out for, the reason why God can tell us that the days of the Antichrist will be limited, the reason why God can assure us that he will bring us home, even those of us who are persecuted to death, the reason is because God is in charge, man. He is sovereign on his throne ruling with all dominion and might and authority. No one can thwart his plan. No one. He is author and finisher, alpha and omega. He declares from the end. Well, now he declares the end from the beginning. And from the beginning, he declares the end and everything in between. And in him, all this holds together. As Daniel prayed back in chapter 2, listen to this and let your heart sing. God is forever mighty and wise. He changes times and seasons. He removes and establishes kings. He gives knowledge and wisdom and understanding to peoples. He reveals the schemes of the darkness because his glorious light pierces the darkness. As Nebuchadnezzar... The pagan king come to God, prayed in, back in chapter 4. God the Most High lives forever. His dominion is the everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth, including the Antichrist who's on the map for about that long. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing before God. It is God who does his will in heaven and on earth. And no one, not even the Antichrist, can thwart the plans of Yahweh. 
I am strangely comforted that my God knows, that your God knows what is ahead for his people. It means he's in control. He knows how long persecution and the reign of the Antichrist will last. He knows it down to the minute because he's in control. And he knows the unspeakable, man, hear this part. After all is said and done, God knows the unspeakable rest and peace and joy and healing that he will lavish upon you and me forever. He is in control. Point number three, and in closing, all conflict, spiritual and physical, will end at God's appointed time. At the time when the Antichrist has seemingly, has seemingly prevailed over God's people, look with me, middle of verse 1, chapter 12. At that time, God, the heavenly judge, will deliver his people. Those who are still alive and those who have fallen asleep in death. And then, and then will come that heavenly court scene that Daniel saw in this vision back in Daniel chapter 7, you remember? God most high, the ancient of days, the heavenly judge, will take his seat in the middle of ten thousands of ten thousands of angels and he will open his books in which are written everything. He will open his books and everyone whose name is found written in his book, verses 1 and 2, chapter 12. Everyone whose name is found written in his book will enter into eternal life. But everyone whose name is not found in his book will enter into eternal disgrace and punishment. In the meantime, second half of verse 10, chapter 12, second half verse 10, those who are wicked in the meantime, while we await that heavenly courtroom, those who are wicked, well, they're going to continue to act wickedly be ready for it, church. Those who are wicked will not repent from their sin. They're not going to. They will refuse. They will not surrender to the one true God because they refuse to answer. They refuse to answer. And yet, many will purify themselves and be made as white as snow. They will be refined. And those who are shall shine like the brightness of the sky, like stars that are headed into forever, turning many others to righteousness. So the million-dollar question, oh, man, brothers and sisters, when the Ancient of Days, when the heavenly judge opens that book, will your name be found written in the blood of his Son? Look, all this is coming. All this is going to come to pass. Will your name be found written in the blood of the Lamb? Jesus 
Man, I love this. God gave up Jesus, whom he most loved, in order to destroy he whom he most hates, the devil, animating the Antichrist and all of these evil dark, dark powers that are at work in our world today. The Lord has dealt with this. He, in sending Jesus, and we're, we're coming into, and in fact, this is a, the first Sunday of the Advent season. Merry Christmas <laughs> after this. Wow, geez, whoa. But this is what, this is what we what was what we recollect and celebrate God sent Jesus he sent Jesus to live the righteous life that we've all refused to live he sent Jesus to die the death that we all deserve to die he sent Jesus to raise to life to vindicate he is God the son to guarantee the fact that he is worthy of our faith our repentance and that we too will will raise just as he he did all of these things in, in, in the most subversive sort of battle plan. You know, we have the Antichrist here taking authority and oppressing people and, and stating himself to power. And yet God sent God the Son who had all power to be defeated. What a subversive way to go ahead and take the knees out from underneath the Antichrist and all sin and death. Jesus died to nullify it. What in the world? This is the king we serve. This is the king who will finish what he started in us. We will know that he will prevail because he already has. The it is finished of the cross has been amended and exclamation pointed by the resurrection. The tomb's empty, y'all. And so it will be for us. So no matter what we face, hell or high water, oh my goodness gracious, I know that as soon as I fall asleep and close my eyes in death, and anyone else whose repentant faith is placed on Jesus, guess what? Eyes closed, guess what? Consciously present with the Christ himself. And then the story just keeps unfolding. Just unfolding. And, and, and God in his tremendous triune power remakes everything. Everything. And he's going to wipe all the tears from our faces. All, all of the tears. I love that verse because it implies, guess what? You are going to be crying. Life is hard. We're facing a lot. It's hard to just be a Christian, let alone be a Christian in this world right now. Guess what? He's going to wipe tears. He's going to wipe your tears and he's going to wipe mine. We will know. We must know. Jesus Christ, the risen son of God, he will prevail. This is what we're going to celebrate all Advent. And every, every day. We're going to celebrate this every single day. Here's the thing that we learn from Daniel chapters 10, 11, 12. There is a spiritual conflict being waged. Let that inform your prayers. Oh Lord, oh Lord, please defeat the powers of darkness that are hovering and flying and trying to thwart the activity in this place. Please, please Lord. And if, if your answer is delayed, oh, we know there's a spiritual battle going on, but we trust you. We trust your timing. It's good. And you have our good in mind. We trust you. There will be earthly conflicts that unfold. Man, watching the news, scrolling through you know, the news feed, it shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us. But all conflict, all conflict, spiritual and physical, will end at God's appointed time. And nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. So I would urge this. If you are here 
and you have never received, if you will, or believed on the risen name of Jesus Christ, him crucified, resurrected to pay for sin, believe on him. Believe on him. Cry out and say, I believe. Open your hands wide and say, oh, I'm a sinner. Wash me. Make me whiter than snow. Purify me, refine me, and hold me firmly as the roller coaster of life continues. If you've not done that, do that. If you'd like some help, Pastor Seth, Ed, we're, we're here for you. But brothers and sisters who are in Christ, be strengthened because guess what? As things unfold, we're together. We're not alone. I'm with you, you with me, and Christ in us. And he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Let's pray. You are holy, 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 God. You are worthy of all praise, all love, all pure fellowship, repentance, all laud, all fame, all glory. You're worthy of it all. And yet what I have to you so often is just a thimble's worth. And I'm sorry. You are so powerful, I can't even conceive. You are so wise, I cannot even attain. You are so Everywhere, my mind explodes. You're not not here. And you're not not over on the other side of the... Of the you're, you're here. You're in all places. You see and know. And it's being recorded in your book. And we just have to cry out, Oh, Lord, continue to save us who are prone to wander. Thank you for Jesus. Lord, would you save those who are here who have not responded with repentant faith to the shed blood and empty tomb of Jesus? And Lord, would you fortify us? Would you ready us? Would you keep us allegiant and, and, and consistent to the gathering of the saints in Christ because we're in this together. And through thick and thin, by the power of your Holy Spirit, by the blood that cries out, it is finished. And with this fellowship, Lord, we will endure. You will hold us fast. And there is nothing that's going to separate us from your love. That is a promise we can take to the bank, and we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.